Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. Amen. Well, welcome church Sunday morning and for you who are viewing online, it's wonderful to worship together and to celebrate and to be a physical body and I love that we can start to meet together more and more. Uh, I'm Sam, if you're new here and um, one of the team here and uh, I want to extend my welcome like Pastor Sean and uh, love to connect more and more with you, you, particularly if you're new and you want to sort of find who's what and where in the church and uh, we'd love to sort of help you. Uh, we, we are continuing this journey, embracing the kingdom of God. And today we're looking at man's betrayal, the lost kingdom. I just wonder, before we get into this, if we, maybe, maybe it's been a few years since the last time that you were involved in a group project. Does anyone like group projects? All right, put your hand down, Peter. <laughs> No, if you, like, if you like group projects, I don't know, you, you must be a special person who are full of grace and peace. And I just can't do group, group projects. As a kid, I struggled with group projects. And um, in, in a group project, I always find that there's two people, two types of people. There's probably others as well, but there's two that stand out. There's the one that does the leading and runs the group. Um, and then there's the one that gets frustrated because they're not heard. And does anyone agree that they've seen that in group projects or working together with, in whatever setting, in school or work or uni, whatever it is, you, there's, this, there's this frustration that can be there. And I was usually the one that wasn't heard. Oh, stop, come on. All right. Not true. Um, yeah, they called my bluff. Yeah, look, uh, there is this, this, I did struggle at times, but not being heard. And it was a frustrating thing to not be heard. And maybe, maybe that's in your, in your relationship, in your marriage, or, or your kids, or your, you're a teenager, and your mum and dad are just not hearing you. And it, you, there's this frustration that is there, this frustration of, of not being understood, of not being vocalised. And uh, I want to suggest today that inside each of us, there's an innate, natural tendency to want to express ourselves. And some of us take that further and we want to, we want to lead, we want to give of who we are, we want to put our image on something, we want to project who we are, and we, we want to be part of a project. And the frustration, I remember one science project um, when I was in grade 10, um, the rest of the group thought all my ideas were dumb. And, um, and so they just didn't listen, they just ignored me. And I was like, oh, but I really wanted to put some of me into the project. I wanted to be a partner, I wanted to be a part and involved with it. And, and that, that hurt, because I, wasn't, I wasn't, wasn't part of it, I wasn't there. And I want to suggest today that, that we were designed to, to give of ourselves, to impart who we are onto the world around us. And we, we see this really clearly in Genesis. And God, God's kingdom was established in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve were given the mandate to name, to fill the earth and to subdue it, to look after and caretake. But they were given the authority to rule over the world, over the earth. That was their mandate, to, to rule. So that was naturally how God made them, to want to rule, to govern God had the plan for man to govern and subdue the world. And he also gave them one condition. 
He's like, you can, you're free to do all that. I want you to rule and to, to be good caretakers of the world. And we've done an amazing job of that so far, haven't we? No. Uh, he gave him one job um, to look after it, but he also gave him one rule. He said, don't touch this thing. Don't, don't even, don't eat the thing, don't touch the thing. Now, what, what sort of fruit? We don't know what it is. Uh, my my um, pop thinks it was the, the vine, um, and he's wrote a book on it. Um, I, look, it doesn't really matter. In my mind, it's, it's, it's a giant big button that says, if you push this button, um, you are walking outside of my kingdom, and it's walking in disobedience. So the one condition was, and we see that in Genesis 3, verse 3, said, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. And guess what? Guess what they did? They touched the thing. They did. And, they, and they, they walked outside of God's obedience. They walked outside of his kingdom. They ejected themselves out of his presence. And ever since that day, there's been a distortion of man been wanting to, to impose that initial God-given mandate to, to rule and subdue on, on behalf of God's authority is now lost and distorted. And, then, and now man and woman together are looking at subduing and ruling on their own authority or someone else's authority. We've lost that God-given authority to rule. And so it changes everything. We're no longer ambassadors of God. We, we lost that extension of his authority. So we were made to operate with the supply of God from him. His authority was the connection and informed the place that we stood. His authority became our authority. We were designed to be ambassadors of God's kingdom with his authority, but we're forced to find an authority based on ourselves or something else. Now, there's a guy who did that in Australia. Uh, his name is Leonard Casley, and... Um, we got a photo of him, and it's uh, it, it, this guy in 1970 he decided to build his own kingdom, and he called it the, the Hutt River Kingdom. It's a micro-nation, and so 1970, he established he has 74 square hectares of land north of Perth, and he, he um, decided that he would call this, this new nation, he would form a new nation that was outside of Australia, albeit inside Australia. And uh, so it lasted from 1970 to uh, 2020. Last year, in January last year, it formally dissolved. But he, he the guy, uh, Leonard, he died and passed it on to his son. And um, when, when, he, when this Leonard set up this principality, he, he, he designed his own flag, he designed his own passport, he designed his own currency. Um, like, if you were to design or make your own kingdom, you know, how would that look? But he, he took that to the next level, and uh, he, he controlled his own place, and he decided that this is his new nation. Now, the reason he did this is because he had an argument with the Australian Taxation Office, and he didn't want to pay tax. And so he found a loophole that if, uh, if a nation is at war with another nation, technically there's some sort of way around it. So he declared war on Australia... Um, and Australia was like, meh, meh. Um, but it's a really dumb idea, right, to start your own nation, um, albeit it sounds really cool. He wanted independence to get away and do things his way, on his authority, separate from the nation of Australia. Now, it epically failed, because what he didn't really factor in is that if you disconnect yourself from the motherland, you disconnect from all the things, 
roads, power, sewerage, water, internet, phone lines. And, 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 and when you sort of cut yourself off, you miss out on the supply line of the motherland. And this is really interesting because I think many, many Christians, many of us are working or walking inside a kingdom, but we're disconnected from the supply line, the source of God. And, this, and we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But this is the result of the, there is a result of this lost kingdom. We're talking about this lost kingdom that man walked away from. And there is a consequence of that. And we can, if you've got your Bibles, uh, Genesis 3, 16 to 19, you can follow with me. And God said to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. No amens there. Yeah, okay. With painful labor, you'll give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you were, will return. So we, we, mankind walked away from the provision and got this awesome blessing uh, disconnected from him. We walked away from the protection of God. Instead of reigning over the world on God's authority, on his behalf, we ended up toiling through an existence and eking, making out an existence. And this was the devil's goal, was to separate man from his maker, from his authority, from his God. In Adam's disobedience, he doomed not only himself, but the entire Christian race, human race. So the cycle of sin and decay was etched into the DNA of mankind. Tragically, instead of serving with and alongside the Creator to represent Him faithfully, Adam rebelled and chose his own way instead of God's. Adam did not rule over, subdue, cultivate, or guard what had been entrusted to him. Instead of partnering together with God to enlarge the borders of the garden to see to it that all creation and created order were immersed in His goodness and power, Adam became the instrument of destruction, of death and separation for himself and all of creation. This, this reaction of Adam exiting the garden is the ultimate rebellion. It was considered treason. It's a significant act. The fall of man was not just an act of personal disobedience, but it was an act of treason on behalf of mankind. Genesis 3.22, and God, Lord God said, The man has now become like us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground in which he had been taken. After the, the, he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Oh, I like any verse that's got a flashing, flaming sword. <laughs> but uh, this, is, this is, we might be thinking, you know, that sounds a little harsh. You know, like if you just read the story, you're like, oh, you know, Adam and Eve, they, they had a bite of maybe an apple and, um, and now they're kicked out and there's this flaming sword, you know, cutting them off from their source of life. Um, is that a slight overreaction, God? And we need to come at it from our understanding of this is a betrayal of God and his kingdom. That is, that is this picture that is taking place. 
And the flaming sword was not an act of hate. God wasn't angry. He's like, oh, I'm going to get you. No, the flaming sword was an act of love. You're like, how can it be an act of love, Sam? The flaming sword, how cool would that be? Um, but an, it's an act of love because if mankind had continued to reach out in a state of disconnect, in a state of rebellion, and they had reached out and eaten from the tree of life and connected back in, they would have lived forever connected disconnected from God, sorry. So they would have lived forever disconnected and broken from God. Now, best, best way I can sort of picture this is, does anyone really, really hate Monopoly? Yes, yeah, we all do, yes. Okay, so imagine a game of Monopoly that you cannot win, that you cannot leave, and never end. All right, that is the best definition of hell I've ever heard, okay? Yeah. Um, but th- that is what's happening here. And so God, in his mercy and love, says, I am going to end and put a restriction. I'm going to limit the fallout of this rebellion. And I'm going to set the stage for the return of my kingdom, the return of someone who can fix this and restore relationship. It's an act of love to set limits on the fall of man. What an amazing God we have. God limited the damage. And what we see through life is we see as mankind left and disconnected from God, we see a broken relationship and we start to see an increase in rules. I have a, I have a friend that I play video games with. He's over in Perth and he always banters with me that Christianity is just a, a, a way of social control and it's just a whole heap of rules to sort of keep people in line. And um, I sort of got chatting with him, and I brought up this, this fact that, you know, in the, the beginning, how many rules were there? And this is a question for you guys. How many rules were there in God's kingdom? One. Don't touch the thing. So inside God's perfect kingdom, we have a beautiful picture of freedom in God. What a beautiful thing that is. You've, you can go and do, rule and subdue with my authority, with a freedom, a freedom to enjoy life, to rule and to, to conquer with my name. What a beautiful thing. But what we see is man walks outside of God's kingdom, the need for rules. And so then God starts to impose and give them rules. And the rules were to limit the fallout of sin. So we see in Exodus and Deuteronomy, there's the Ten Commandments get given to Moses. And then we see another uh, 624, I think, additional laws given to help understand and to limit the effect of sin on, on mankind. And, and as the Israelites journey, they had another 2,000 odd rules added in the Talmud. And so they just, as the, the worse the relationship, the more rules they got. And, and, and that's really, really key for us because in our relationships in our life, uh, when our relationships start to deteriorate, the first thing we start to see conditions and rules start to pop up. You can start to see the health of a relationship by the number and the quantity of rules and conditions that are there. Now, I'm not saying rules and conditions are all bad. They help limit. I've got a four-year-old boy. Rules are my best friend right now. They set limits and help to keep him safe. But the principle is there that with a healthy relationship, rules become redundant. They're not as needed. And as a, 
as a relationship grows and develops and flourishes, the rules don't become the defining feature of a relationship. Isn't that cool? So young people, if you have lots of rules in your life and your parents are, you feel like your parents are squashing you, can I suggest that just maybe it's because the relationship isn't at a place that is healthy? And if you want to walk in freedom, you want to have a freedom there, can I encourage you to honour and submit to your parents and honour them and rebuild that trust and relationship with them? And I can't promise the rules will disappear, but I guarantee it will set the stage for you to have freedom. And parents, this goes for you. If you're feeling like you're needing to control and, and put a lot of rules and conditions on things, that might be part of the solution. I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying there's a deeper principle at play. Maybe, just maybe, we're called to restore that relationship with our kids first, to rebuild that relationship, spend time that they be heard, they felt heard. That's like we said at the beginning, it's an innate thing in our nature to be heard. And I think that's something that for all of us we need to be aware of is that when relationships break down, rules seem to take over. Rules replace relationship and affects the operating within the kingdom of God. We have this rebellion from, from God that is defined more by rules than relationship until Jesus. And then Jesus did this beautiful thing. So um, the the Pharisees are like, you know, hey, which is the most important rule? What, what, what about the rules? There's all these rules, you know. And, and Jesus just brought it back. He simplified them all. He said, you know, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law hangs on these two. Well, this was one concept. It's one concept, really. All of the law. So he's, he's just come back and he said, hey, come back into relationship with me and discover the freedom that brings so Christianity is the greatest freedom beacon our world has. It is the greatest hope our world will ever have. I hope that you can be you, uniquely you and free, and enjoy God. Such a beautiful thing. But the rebellion, this loss of identity, when we walk outside of God's kingdom, we, start, we feel the need to define ourselves by someone or something else. So Adam gets, the, the rebellion happens. Adam rebels against God. Adam and Eve together, they rebel against God. What's the first thing Adam does? The first thing Adam does after he's rebelled and they've sinned against God, he turns around and he names his wife. Now, I think that's significant if you hold that thought there because his mandate, their mandate was to rule and subdue the world. That his, his calling was to give the animals names. And his first thing he does when he's broken, he's walked out of God's authority, he's turned around and he's trying to establish his authority over his wife. And see, Adam and Eve were partners together. She was out of his side. And they were together. That was equality. That's egalitarianism. That is a beautiful picture of harmony working side by side together. As soon as they walk outside of the kingdom, what happens? They need to define and rule over each other. And human history has continued that trend. People build their own kingdoms always at the expense of someone else. I get my, my, my sense of purpose and identity by being better than someone else, by being faster, by stronger, by richer, by, by having more things. But the first thing Adam does, he names his wife. They could have been living in the Garden of Eden for thousands of years, we don't know. They could have been living together and they were known as man and woman. 
until the rebellion. And then they start to get names, and Adam and Eve. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful picture when we start to see the name man and woman in relationship, in context with God. They were defined by God. And then when they walked out of God, they were it was broken. There's a beautiful picture in the New Testament when Jesus um, meets a, a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. She's probably naked on the ground and um, was, was dragged before them and they were ready to stone her. And the first thing he said to her is woman. He has given back her identity, her dignity, her worth that was set in the Garden of Eden. That, that context relationship with God. Woman was, was what was called, she was called in relationship with God. And, and it's right here in the, in the worst place that this lady's ever been. Jesus said, he's looking at her and has given her back a worth, a dignity. So inside God's kingdom, we have dignity, we have worth, we have purpose. Outside of, we are fighting for our own sense of identity. I, um, I loved the privilege of naming our kids. My, my parents had lots of wonderful names um, that they suggested, and they're probably, you know, probably even better than my suggestions, but the fact that they weren't from me meant I couldn't call them that. You know? There's a sense of ownership of when you give someone a name. It's a sense of, oh, this is, um, this is mine. And so Adam is doing this to his wife. And I'm just like missing the opportunity, missing what God is really wanting to do. God is wanting us to be defined and known by him and his authority. The kingdom was, was established as we seek to define and establish ourselves in our own independence. We establish our own kingdom. We were never made to control others. We were never meant to control others. We were meant to subdue the world with mankind and not over mankind. Society has continued to use our innate mandate to rule instead of within the context of God's kingdom, but to build our own, using whatever means we can to define ourselves. And this is it. This is the only answer to sexism, racism. The only answer to discrimination is understanding and re-entering the kingdom of God because our worth is set by him and we don't need to clamor over the top of other people to find ourselves and to have a purpose and a reason. The lost kingdom of God, in it we were not defined by anything other than by who God is. Leonardo da Vinci was an amazing artist. He was a sculptor. He did, he did a lot of amazing things. He, he painted. He, he, he did everything. He's kind of a wonder kid. And um, he, he would draw something on a scrap piece of paper, and it would be worth an incredible amount of money. See, it wasn't the paper, it was the author that gave its worth. And in the same way, our worth is set by our author. We are made fearfully and wonderfully made. Your value is in who God is and what he's done and what he's created. It's such a beautiful picture when we start to realize outside of God's kingdom, we, don't, we struggle to find a worth. We, we, we don't have a worth. Inside God's kingdom, we start to see how we're made, how we operate. And we will lose, in, humanity is losing that worth. And that's a part of restoring the kingdom we're going to talk about next week, coming back into that place. Revelations 3.21. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, 
just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. We were created to rule with and not over humanity. God reestablishes his reign through Jesus. The restoration of our role and function is restored as well. I trust that as we go through this year unpacking God's kingdom, that you will gain an understanding of both your identity, purpose, function, and worth. I'm just going to ask uh, the band to come up. And I would love to just pray and just spend a moment. Maybe, maybe we could just close our eyes and reflect on who we're called to be and, and what we're called, what God is placing in our hearts Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that you reign. Thank you that you give us our authority. You give us our dignity, our worth. Lord, I pray that you would help us to operate within your kingdom. Lord, that we would accept you as our Lord and King. Lord, that we wouldn't start to build our our empire. Lord, that we'd simply submit, that we'd deny ourselves and enter into what you're already doing. Thank you that you give us our worth. Thank you that you give us our identity. Lord, I pray that today you would reaffirm that which has been lost in our lives. When we feel like we don't have a voice, when we feel like we're not heard, when our relationships are broken, Lord, I pray that you would do a work and restore us. Lord, that our lives would not be defined by conditions or restrictions, but we would live in the freedom of the Garden of Eden, where we would live inside your kingdom and understand the beauty of what relationship with you does and how it frees us. It frees us from the baggage and the bondage. Thank you that you've set us free. Who the Son has freed is free indeed. Lord, let us lay hold of that claim and truth in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen.